Welcome to That Might Be Cool. I'm Jason Hammonds, and joining me today is someone who is uh, highly critical of, of, of many of your favorite things, uh, someone who, who really has the analytical eye to tear apart every scary and fascinating thing in your life. Uh, she uh, writes for People's World. She has a YouTube channel. Her name is Chauncey K. Robinson. Welcome to the show, Chauncey. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, today, we are talking about one of the uh, kind of largest impact films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, the highest grossing single uh, character film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, this was a, a movie that kind of changed a lot for, I think, what could be expected out of superhero films. Uh, I think it was also the first superhero film to be nominated for an Oscar. So uh, anyway, all that to say, the movie we're talking about today is Black Panther. I have seen gods fly. I've seen men build weapons that I couldn't even imagine. Uh-huh. I've seen aliens drop from the sky. Yeah. But I have never seen anything like this. How much more are you hiding? Hold up. Let's go. go, go. Uh, what do you yeah. think, Chauncey, of Black Panther? I mean, honestly, like everything that you said, it was something that was monumental in terms of the history that it, it was history making and had a community around it that already was wanting some form of a movie like this with this kind of representation, with this mm -hmm. kind of plot line. It actually played on a lot of relevant things going on in our own political times. It also smashed a lot of preconceptions when it came to what kind of movies of superhero um, nature are uh, bankable mm -hmm. as well with the, the, the history making uh, money that it made and things. And just also just the kind of heroes that we have as well. And the kind of villains too, yeah. and what those villains are taking a little bit of a deeper approach to uh, the kind of villains that we have in certain, in this kind of genre. Mm -hmm. So I liked it for so many things. <laughs> I, I enjoyed it. I yeah. enjoyed it. I mean, yeah. I, I really enjoyed it. No, totally. It's, <laughs> and it, women, it was so like strong women, women heavy. Yes. Like, yeah. So. No, it really, they, they, they did a great job. I mean, first off, like this was when they hired Ryan Coogler, it felt like a real, um, a different direction for, for how they had been hiring directors to that point. You know, like it was either they would bring in like TV directors, obviously like the Russos or Alan Taylor, or they would bring in like a really kind of, not not super small time, but a fairly small time like indie director like, you know, a James Gunn or, or a Taika Waititi. But, you know, bringing in Ryan Coogler off of the success of Creed was like, oh, this person is a like a has a distinct vision with their films and actually has like a real stamp that they put on on their movies, but also isn't isn't small time you know they're not someone who who has a small enough reputation that they can kind of be like bent to whatever the whims are of the studio which kind of felt like the direction they were going in for a while um and so i feel like right from jump it was like th th this film was was sort of destined to be something that was a, a bit of a departure from from their their norm Oh, yeah. I mean, as soon as I heard that Coogler was taking on just knowing his film, you know, Fruitvale Station. Yeah. And of course, like, you know, Creed, of course, as well. You know, all of these having Michael B. Jordan, his <laughs> main person in there. Um, rightly so. Yeah. Who also I, I know from Jersey because he went to Arts High like I did. Oh, uh, yeah. So, I mean, it's just it's one of those things where you knew that it was going to come from a stronger position. And, you know, I like the Marvel Cinematic Universe for mm -hmm. the most part. I do think. Um, I'm not going to go descend into a DC versus in Marvel <laughs> thing, but I do think at times it can be kind of surface yeah. with some of their, with some of their plot lines, you know, it's kind of bad guy, good guy, uh, smart quips yeah. here and there. And you, with Black Panther, you had something that spoke to, I mean, the black experience, not, you know, in America sure. for one in the United States, but then, but you, but because, and that was because of Coogler, you know, yeah. that was because of that vision he brought to that because of his previous films yeah. and getting someone who could handle this kind of, um, I think handle this kind of material in a way that was authentic mm -hmm. for what would be the first, like the first big time headlining superhero in a mainstream kind of way. And yeah. it needed to be that. I don't think it could have been in anyone else's hands, to be honest. No, I, and I think you're right. I one thing that I that I think is fascinating with this film is obviously so Kugler comes on board after uh, Chadwick Boseman's already been cast as T'Challa for Civil War, 
I kind of wonder, given his history with Michael B. Jordan, and obviously he found a way to get him in the film anyway, but I, I kind of wonder if had Coogler been brought on board sooner, if maybe Michael B. Jordan had been cast as T'Challa. What do you, do you think this movie would be better or worse because of that? Oh, no. Uh, I'm, I, I love uh, Chadwick, uh-huh. and <laughs> I think he did a great job. Totally. Because the thing, the thing about this character of Black Panther, in particular in the MCU, mm-hmm. um, of he has a certain nuance to him, right? Yeah. Like he's not, you know, sometimes, and this is the thing about not just the fact that he's the, one of the first main black superheroes, but in terms of his characterization of not being necessarily what you can think of as a stereotypical alpha male type sure, character. Sure. Like, yes, he's strong. Yes, he's this, but he listens to his council of women. He yeah. listens to, he's a listener. He's an observer. He's kind of subtle. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the things that Chadwick was able to bring to that was those things because, I mean, he's just a phenomenal actor. I mean, he can just play so many different kind of parts mm-hmm. um, from Thurgood Marshall and other things. And so I think you needed that. You, ne- you needed that kind of maturity yeah. that uh, Chad, I mean, he doesn't look it, but he's in his 40s. But like, <laughs> I know, right? You know, uh, but you needed that kind of maturity. I yeah. And I think, honestly, Michael B. Jordan was perfect for the role he did end up I agree. Playing. You know, I think yeah. you needed that kind of raw roughness, kind of, you know, a little bit more um, rough around the edges type of characterization that he brought to the villain yeah. of of Black Panther. That was a great contrast to Chadwick's um, interpretation of Black Panther himself. Yeah. Yeah. I, I and that, that's the other thing, you know, I think the maybe the thing that really obviously like the cast of this film being so largely diverse, you know, which is a, a departure from really every mainstream blockbuster at the time. But but also, I think the other thing that sets it apart from the MCU is the fact that we have a villain that actually makes an impact in this movie. Uh, you know, so many of the MCU films, it's it's a disposable villain that just kind of has a vague goal of destroying something or getting something to destroy something. And in this movie, we see, you know, Eric is... is actually like he has a cause he has something that he truly believes in and he has a reason for it and he also just generally has a point <laughs> you know to to the things that he says and so i think and and the the thing that makes it impactful is by the end of it he's actually changed the way that t'challa approaches governing you know he he's changed t'challa's mind about how to be king uh and i i think that's something that we don't really get with villains too often is that they can change the direction or the mind of of you know our whoever our protagonist is yeah i think i mean there's there's layers to killmonger for sure i i think in a way i feel like uh t'challa's um viewpoint was changed not just by killer but also uh nakia as yeah. well that was played like lupita um because she was very the thing is and people don't always bring it up as much is that killmonger and nakia could be seen with the same kind of viewpoint mm, yeah. but the thing was nakia went about it in a different more one could argue or i would argue a more productive way yeah, in the way yeah. she went about uh, you know, as a spy, the way she went about the the need for change, the need for doing things a little bit differently, but not in as a destructive way as Killmonger, yeah. not in as much as a, an aggressive way as Killmonger had. And I think one of the but one of the great things about this, like you said, this villain is the idea that he wasn't disposable, that. I it was one of those things where people were kind of questioning whether or not they sort of agreed with the villain, right? Yeah. And, you yeah, know, people were totally. like, well, maybe, you know, maybe he has a point, you know, <laughs> and it's not, you know, and it's not, and that's one of, the, I love when movies do that, yep. where it's not just like, okay, he's the bad guy. I love gray characters, yeah. uh, both the heroes and the villains, because I think it makes for more interesting uh, storytelling. Of course. So I think it was good that they went that route with, yeah. you know, where he grew up at in Oakland and California and things and and having that influence him, what he's gone through in the United States, what he's seen people go through and wanting something for himself and for the pride of the people that he he did. Now, of course, I do think it was a bit misguided in terms of the way he wanted to in a way he wanted to become the oppressor yeah. as opposed to a liberator. Sure. It was kind of like, well, we have enough technology. We can control everything now. We can oppress other people. Yeah. And 
there's you you can do a whole dissertation about like just the dynamics of that, you know, because we know that Michael B. Jordan, like he studied certain um revolutionary type thinkers. I mean, Malcolm X, uh Huey P. Newton and others. Um, even you know, so we know that. Yeah. And and you, you can examine, I mean, that's just great that you can look at a villain and say, Man, I see historical figures yeah. <laughs> within this person's kind of uh philosophy. Yeah. And uh I think that made that like you said, it just totally distinguished it from, you know, the uh the regular I wanna destroy the world for some random reason villains that mm. we can get often. Yeah, hundred percent. Um and I and I think that exactly like exactly what you're saying. It's just it it, it, it makes a lot more of an impact when there's actually some sort of real rooting to your villain rather than like, you know, Ronin from Guardians of the Galaxy, where it's just like, oh, I guess this guy hates this large group of people and wants to kill them all. Okay, no reason to know why, I guess. Um, yeah, well, it's Guardians. So. <laughs> <laughs> One could argue, do you need a reason for a lot of stuff that happens with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, I also want to talk about uh, the the women of this film, specifically uh, kind of our, our main three, Nakia, Okoye, and, and Shuri. Uh, I think it's it's rare that you get a blockbuster film that has a supporting cast this deep that it like this this deep and this interesting you know shuri is like what the sixth you know build uh cast member down the list and is still a, a thoroughly well fleshed out and interesting character uh I, th- I think that's really interesting just the fact that we are introduced to so many people in this film and we come away with you know such a, a strong and vivid image of of each one of them um is there is there a standout character for you in this in this film among all of them as well as, you know, among like just any of the supporting cast. Oh yeah. Okoye is my girl. I love her. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I love Danae pretty much cause I've loved her since the walking dead. Oh, yeah. Um, but I mean, just her character and the impact that she has, the, mm-hmm. the layers. I mean, she has complexity too, right? Like yeah. her husband, her, her, you know, her partner had kind of went on to the other side. And yet she stayed loyal to the throne, to who she thought was the rightful ruler of the throne. Mm -hmm. And that kind of complexity, her maturity, but also their playfulness at times, uh, this militancy that she has, Mm -hmm. uh, just such a a strong, awesome character. So it's no, I mean, that's why I wasn't surprised. And I was so delightfully surprised that, you know, you see her like in the other movies like Avengers and things of that nature. So, I mean, it was great that they they went with that because mm-hmm. her character did stand out. It went against certain norms, like her whole questioning of, you know, uh, wigs and stuff. <laughs> yeah. I know that's the whole fight scene with her throwing the wig. is like such a <laughs> such a funny, like <laughs> poignant type thing. And I think, like you pointed out, these three, particularly these three women characters. And I think this is also what makes it different mm-hmm. from other MCU movies that had come before it. Because, yes, it's I mean. We, of course, we saw with, we've seen with Captain Marvel, you know, where you have this strong woman lead, like she's straight up the lead, you know, yeah. like there's no doubt about it. It's very on the nose that she's the lead. But I think what was also showed with Black Panther is that you had it so that you had these three supporting characters who were not just there to teach T'Challa a lesson, you yeah. know, like he like they were there. They had their own wants and needs they had their own motivations and i think it's also poignant to point out the fact that these are three black women right because i mean also in our political climate you know Mm -hmm. one of the things black women have been are are pretty much the most like powerful voting block there is Mm -hmm. you know uh in terms of who they voted for the support that they um put behind certain candidates and things of that nature. So I think it was important, the symbolization that that had, that we saw in Black Panther that yes, you know, Black Panther, he is the leader, but he couldn't do that without his support system. No, You know, Shuri is a genius. She's a technological genius. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that was so important to show. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think what we saw I think Kugler, I think it was a, I think it was deliberate. I don't think it just happened. Like these three characters, these three black women just oh, happened sure. to be as flesh. I think it was a, a, a deliberate choice yeah. because of the role and because of the influence and not always valued mm-hmm. influence that black women have when it comes to the, the strength of that they give to their communities and to the wider uh, world of politics and culture. 
Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. No, totally. And that, that makes total sense. I mean, I'm just even thinking like of when the last time was that we had a major, you know, a, a $100 million plus movie. I mean, this one well above 200, I believe, but a $100 million plus movie that had three distinct and, and strong black female characters in it, let alone, you know, being prominent uh, characters in the story. Like, it doesn't, it's not, it doesn't happen that often, which is, is, you know, the real, I think, kind of crime and also, you know, sort of standout, you know, one, one big standout part of this film is just the fact that, yeah, in terms of trends, in terms of, you know, like you're saying, a, a very impactful portion of our population kind of being ignored in our mainstream media, uh, that this completely goes against the, the, the grain of whatever, you know, the studio system or whoever the decision makers are, like whatever they were sort of pushing things toward for the last, you know, decades. <laughs> yeah, I think one of the things about this is that it smashes that, well, we've had movies before that smash this whole thing that if you had too many black people as leads that yeah. black films can't do well. Like mm-hmm. there's actually like concrete evidence that we've had for years now that says that's just not true. Yeah. But <laughs> I think what Black Panther did, it put it on such a massive scale. <laughs> yes. Because not only did it do it in the United States, it did it across the, in other countries, in other places, other countries, yep. right? Where, you know, there's this whole, you know, there's this notion in the industry by studio execs and stuff that Black-led films don't do well with, so you know, so-called foreign audiences yep. for whatever reason. But we've seen even before Black Panther, that's not true. Yeah. But I think what this made it so is that it's so undeniable that that's not true. Yeah. You know, and I think this made it so this idea that you can't bank on a a movie that has not only black people, but strong black women characters who are at the forefront, who have screen time, who are pivotal to the plot that they can do so well that they do that you can't ignore that anymore. Yeah, and I mean, in in talking about the successes of this film, uh, you know the the global box office of this film one point three billion dollars, uh, which is the the third world or sorry the fourth worldwide overall of of Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, it's the highest non Avengers titled film uh, to uh, to gross in their universe, and it's also it may it's the highest grossing domestic film in the MCU. Uh, it made seven hundred million domestic, but it also made six hundred and forty six million uh, worldwide, which is yeah, like you're saying, just enormous. It's an undeniable success. Like there's there's not really any excuses that people can try to sit on anymore to to you know lend credence to why the hell they're not greenlighting more big budget you know black led movies. Like it's uh, it's it's at least refreshing to see it just completely destroy all those notions so handily <laughs> you know yeah so, it also destroys this idea that it was only black people that wanted to see this 100 <laughs> percent. you know like absolutely that was the thing too. like oh you know i guess they're making this for the black mcu fans like no <laughs> actually you know other people of other races and mm-hmm. colors and things are okay they won't die mm-hmm. if if it's not like a white guy as the lead person <laughs> in a mainstream film, oh my gosh, the world didn't end. Yeah, like it's you know, and people actually enjoyed it. This this movie, I mean, just just for some fun comparisons, uh, this movie on its own made more money than both Ant Man films. Uh, made more money on its own than the first two uh, Iron Man films. Made more money on its own than the first two Thor films. Uh, all of those, like combined in those series, it, it made more money than than those two films put together in any of those sets uh just on its own so yeah, yeah. I, I think international audiences love themselves some iron man and and this one on its own did better than the first two of those so there's there's not any argument <laughs> there really isn't um, but they will argue of course <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then in terms of public opinion as well, I mean, just and obviously Rotten Tomatoes, as we've it's kind of been a topic recurring on this show that, that Rotten Tomatoes is a very unreliable kind of thing. But it does give you some insight into how people are, are you know, overall kind of perceiving movies and the uh, the critics reviews on this film. Ninety seven percent of critic reviews were positive on this film. Uh, and then seventy nine percent of audience reviews were, were also positive. So it's, I mean, overwhelmingly favorably received. Uh, it's. Yeah. Quite a quite an accomplishment for for especially just for a debut character. You know what I mean? Like, sure, he was introduced in Civil War, but you know, Spider Man Homecoming didn't do that. <laughs> you know, it's it's uh, just a just a tremendous success. Um, yeah. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> no, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh 
no, I was just going to say, I mean, I will speak no ill will of Rotten Tomatoes as I am a verified critic on there. So I sometimes can get it right or wrong, <laughs> <laughs> like depending on what I'm reviewing. But um, yeah, I think when you when you say that, yeah, it can be unpredictable in the sense of, you know, sometimes critics can be really hard mm-hmm. on things because, you know, sometimes they're looking at different official critics are looking at different things than like viewing audience will. But to have mm-hmm. it so close. I think is a testament to the fact I said when I first watched the film was that it wasn't just a good MCU movie. It was a good movie. Yeah. Period. And, you know, I think, and that's not to say, like, actually, I can honestly say my favorite MCU movie is actually Thor Ragnarok. Oh yeah. That's a great movie. As, as an MCU film, it's my favorite, Mm -hmm. but as a movie overall, Black Panther is like, to me, one of the best movies in the MCU universe. And, because of the fact that it can stand on its own against without the references of other, I mean, of totally. course, Wakanda was like isolated, so it couldn't have a lot of references. To everybody, else. <laughs> yeah. so it worked for them. That's why they had to make it be able to stand mm-hmm. on its own because they weren't necessarily connected to everybody else, you know. Yeah, and stands on its own as a solid film that even if you aren't into the MCU, mm-hmm. you can enjoy it. Which is not you can't say that for every MCU movie. No, not even honest. not even half of them. Yeah, I think some movies, it honestly does play on the fan service or what you know or the previous films and things. Mm -hmm. And this movie didn't have to do that. It didn't need that crutch. Yeah, absolutely. Um, In terms of uh, in terms of nitpicks on this film, I I mean, there's very few for me because I feel like this is, you know, I I talked about this with um, with Doctor Strange and with one other uh, MCU film I'm forgetting right now. But the, the plot of this movie holds together so well that there's really not too much that you can pick apart. Uh, other than things being a little like unclear or muddled, um, like for me, the the biggest thing that to this film that I still have no idea like how it specifically works is that T'Challa was already Black Panther before his dad died, and he had like the Black Panther powers. But then at a certain point, there's like the challenge for the throne after he inherited it, but the challenge is also for the Black Panther mantle. And they talk about how you become king and Black Panther, but he was already Black Panther before he was king. And then for the chat, like they they drain the power from him. But then like the question comes in, like, when did he drink the juice to get the powers in the first place before he gave him up? Because he had the powers in Civil War. Like there's a lot of that sort of muddled detail where I try and like piece it together and figure out the order of operations for like when you become Black Panther and when you become king and like where the powers come from and when you're supposed to get them. And I can't for the life of me figure out like how how that actually works in this universe. Yeah, I didn't think too hard on it. I, <laughs> I think for me, I, I felt like part of it was his lineage. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that it was kind of a natural thing for him to be the Panther, but then also the idea of needing to earn it yeah. as well, to fully embody it. I mean, I think it's kind of a similar arc that you can think of when it comes to Thor. Like this sure. idea that his lineage makes it so he's supposed to be the king, but of course he still has to earn it. And he, yeah. he fumbles that a lot. But, you know, it's still that idea that he has to earn... Um, that the true power of it to be yeah. able to become oneness when it. So I think what we saw before the movie was perhaps him kind of having it, uh, having it, having it in his possession, but not truly um, being as co- cohesive with it at one point, like yeah. he needed to go through what he did. So I guess maybe it's a little bit on the spiritual side yeah. versus the actual tech of it as well. Yeah, and I think yeah, I think the story part of it holds up in terms of like what he needs to earn in order to truly be the king and truly be the Black Panther. I just like the the one thing that that falls out for me where I just can't figure it out is the you know the 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 sort of whatever the thing is that they drink. I can't remember what they call it the the sort of juice or whatever that like gives him the powers or takes them away. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that he at some point would have had to drink that but then they make it seem as though drinking that is part of the sort of becoming king thing but he already had the powers before he became king and so like it's it's one of those things that i i don't know why i think about it this much because i I shouldn't it's a dumb (laughs) and i'm one of these people like when i write i'm very much a plot doesn't really matter thing like plot is just a way to to get you to the story uh but for some reason i like on especially these mcu films i get so hung up on like random little plot things and i can't like let him go but at the same time like it doesn't affect my enjoyment of the film it's just always a thing that i'm looking at and going no idea how that works i don't know i don't understand it um weird thing uh well yeah i think in the technical (laughs) sense it was more like he needed to be black panther because they needed to introduce him in civil war yeah exactly yeah (laughs) the behind the curtain thing was definitely that (laughs) um 
the other thing we like to to go through these films and as just a, a fun thing because these MCU films are so filled with MacGuffins. There's always a stone to get or a thing, you know, like there's always that that little thing. Uh, and so we like to rate the MacGuffins in each film. And the thing that I was looking at with this is my first instinct was like, oh, yeah, the MacGuffin of this film was was the vibranium, you know, that, that Claw and Killmonger are trying to steal at the beginning that sort of brings them into conflict. But then I kind of realized that it was more that Claw himself was the MacGuffin of this film because that's like more than the vibranium. He's what sort of brings T'Challa into the plot, you know, and he's the one that brings uh, Killmonger, you know, sort of toward Wakanda. And so I, th- I think that for a lot of this film, really, that that Claw is the is the MacGuffin up until he gets killed. And then it just becomes, you know, the sort of like defeating the villain. Um, and so on that, like I, I my ratings will typically be like, how interesting is the MacGuffin to me? And usually mm-hmm. when it's an infinity stone or something like that, it's just like, yeah, it's a freaking rock. Like, I don't care about it that much. Uh, but the fact that it's claw in this film, I think it makes it a lot more interesting and actually gets you invested in the sort of main plot of like the hero trying to get this thing and the villain also trying to like, you know, interact with this thing. Uh, and so to me, like the, the MacGuffin of this film would probably be something like an eight out of 10, just because it is claw and claw is such a weird character that has his own sort of agenda and, and is able to sort of interrupt the plot on his own rather than just like being tossed from one character to another. Um, but I don't know. What are, what are your thoughts on it? I agree with you. I mean, just this idea. I mean, like you said, like it's not some inanimate object. It's a, a layered person. Also, uh, the type of character that he already is yeah. as well. Like just that whole idea of, you know, uh, that characterization of white guy and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, I I mean, what that means for Africa, right? Yeah, yeah. Causing all this disruption. Of I mean, course. there's so much symbolism, right? Yep. So, um, yeah, no, I, I agree with you on the on the rating. I think it's it's pretty high up there, yeah. Yeah. I I also I do enjoy how like how hammy Andy Circus makes his performance as this character. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> he really hams it up and he he's really just having a good time being that character. I'm like, "You know what? Sure, let's let's do it. Just yeah, embrace this weird character Andy Circus. Why not?" I was a little worried at first that he was going to be like the main main. Yeah. Like villain. I was like, "Oh, man, this that's going to be that." Like, I mean, I you know, enjoyed it, but I was like, "Oh, but like it worked because yeah. then Killmonger kind of takes over as the true uh you know antagonist yeah so, yeah and i really like that confrontation scene between killmonger and and claw when they're sort of like you know shooting it out in that junkyard or whatever it is like that that was actually a really like compelling like kind of mini action scene um with a lot of tension to it like i i, I really liked watching that yeah there was just so much i mean throughout the whole entire film there's just these that was another thing too like the way they created the interpersonal dynamics mm-hmm. between characters Um, When they interacted with each other, it wasn't just kind of like, well, these two people need to do this for us to get here. Like you said, like the whole thing about plot, it was more so uh, it it all all of it resonated in some way, you know, all their interactions and that one in particular as well. So I just felt like, um, yeah, it did did a good job of that in terms of just how these characters all interacted with one another. Yeah. And I was, you know, and actually speaking on, on MacGuffins, I, I was kind of, for a lot of this film, I was sort of expecting that they were going to introduce an Infinity Stone because they kept, like there was, at this point, there, there was one left that hadn't been introduced yet in the in the universe, and that was the Soul Stone. And they kept talking about, you know, there was the uh, the giant meteor that crashed and, and sort of they built Wakanda off of it. And we have like this, you know, the heart-shaped herb and like the 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 herb giving the ability to like, you know, commune with the souls of the dead or whatever. I was like, oh, well, that makes perfect sense. It would be the soul stone, you know, like the power from the herb is growing straight out of the soul stone. So it allows people to communicate with the souls of their ancestors. Uh, And I was kind of relieved that it didn't become that because every time an infinity war or an infinity stone comes into one of these films, it just sort of takes over the plot in the third act. It does. Yeah. And so it's kind of nice. It becomes. Yeah. Yeah, it just becomes oh, let's let's fight over this rock. <laughs> um, exactly. But yeah, I was I was relieved that, that that didn't happen. Although it did feel like it feels like maybe in like an early version of this script that maybe that's what it was, and and then you know once the creative team sort of came on board, or at least once like Ryan Coogler and and um, I feel like he brought in another. Was it just him that did the rewrites, or did he bring in another screenwriter? I can't remember. Um, yeah, he did, he did the rewrites off of Joe Robert Cole, but it feels like maybe just once he came in, he was like, yeah, maybe not. I'm not gonna, not gonna do another rock story. Um, yeah, exactly. I mean, I think, 
I mean, yeah, I definitely think it was something where, like you were saying, like in the beginnings of the script, it probably had a lot more connections to everything leads to this other movie we want you to pay to, pay to <laughs> yeah. see. Um, but I feel like, you know, when Coogler was on, I was like, yeah, no, let's not do it that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's make it so it stands on its own, which was a good choice. Absolutely. Um, and then if anything, that, I think this movie brought so many people into the MCU who might not have watched it before, agreed. to be honest. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the fact, I mean, I, I think the fact that it is the highest grossing solo film indicates on its own, you know, without even really looking into it, you go, oh, yeah, well, if more people saw this film than any, you know, solo film prior, then yeah, probably did bring in new audiences uh, to Infinity War. And that's also what I liked is that infinity war was like did like root itself so much in wakanda and these characters that were introduced in this film like to see a lot more of shuri and of of okoye um and and obviously a lot of these these other characters mbaku like was awesome to have you know them play such a huge part in this giant event film so quickly uh because it feels like usually when these characters are introduced in the in this universe it's like you know, it takes it two or three years before they actually like do anything in like the crossover films, you know, like Ant-Man or whoever. Um, but uh, it was it was nice to just be like, oh, yeah, every character from that movie or at least a large portion of them is is right away in this giant event movie and actually playing a really integral part of, of the entire thing. Yeah, totally. Uh, yeah, I agree. Like the the idea of each of those characters being as significant as they were, and I think that goes to a testament of how popular they became. Yeah. As well, you know, just I mean, and probably that was also a surprise for some people that some of these characters mm-hmm. became as popular as they did. Uh, and I think it was kind of undeniable where it was like, well, we just had this monumental movie. You better make it so that these people are showcased <laughs> in the yeah, next one. That's true. Like just as much yeah. because now you're bringing in, like we just said, those people who are new to the MCV and they're like, okay, low, he's going to be in this one. So let me check out infinity war, which <laughs> yeah, if they saw that, they probably were kind of angry yeah. at the end, but yeah. So it's true. It's true. Uh, <laughs> It's a tough one to swallow, and it's as we're recording this. There's one more day left until we can see Endgame. So, so as the listeners are hearing this, they've they're probably already starting to see it and and uh, see what whatever the the end results of of those uh, sort of deaths and and whatnots are are uh, turning into. Um, I won't spoil Endgame. I know what happens. Oh, Chauncey, <laughs> holding out on me this whole time. I'm glad I'm glad you haven't played your hand because uh, I would just I hang up not. the call. Um, no, I will not. <laughs> Do not spoil. That's really so <laughs> crappy for people. I'm what I'm. I I will not. I will not be dishonorable. I have. I have done such. Like I'm so impressed with myself for avoiding any endgame related materials. I watched one. <laughs> I watched one trailer and I. I almost watched like two or three reviews and I was like, no, no, don't do it. Don't do it. I can't don't do this. Do it. Um, but uh, uh, do you have any, and speaking of, you know, sort of reviews and, and the fact that you are a critic, uh, do you have any sort of nitpicks or, or things that, that with this movie uh, uh, don't quite hold up for you? Nothing too specific. Um, I, although I did love the idea of the strong black women characters for mm-hmm. sure. And I did like Killmonger's thing. I, I felt like. It was a little bit, I got his ending a bit. Um, it was kind of like, you know, bury me in the water where our ancestors were. Sure. Um, I I felt like it was a little bit abrupt how violent he got mm, yeah. uh, when he took over, considering what he was saying. But I know that needed to happen because if he didn't get violent to the point of getting so aggressive, then you would be, you know, a viewer would be like, well, maybe he should be the ruler kind of a deal. So they yeah. needed to really have that contrast that the the throne in his hands would be so, like, detrimental. Yeah. Um. So I got that part. Um, I always try to look at the silver lining sometimes with I'm not I'm not going to say I'm a nice critic, but I also try to see like not perspective of what did I like? What did I like? It's like, what did I get out of that? Even if it wasn't as great as I could think it could be. Mm-hmm. Um, I also felt like um, funny enough, and I think it showed with who they ended up using a bit more. And this might have just been maybe with Lupita's schedule or something. But I felt like, OK, the uh, character. Sorry, I felt like with the character. uh I enjoyed her a lot more, but I know they kind I felt like they, and this is because the MCU isn't very good at doing romance period, but mm-hmm. I kind of felt like they shoehorned in that romance with uh, Black Panther and uh, Nakia. I do I agree. Know, yeah. I, do. I felt like it was a little shoehorned in 
And I didn't mm-hmm. really, I didn't get the layers of their love. That's, I guess that's yes. what I'm saying. Like, I didn't get why he was so devoted to her. I got, I mean, she was cool. I loved her yeah. as a character. But in terms of their romance, I was like, I could do without this. <laughs> yeah, there wasn't because there was never a moment where, you know, there's never a moment where it clicks for us where we're like, oh, OK, that's that's why they're in love. That's what that's that's why they're so attracted to each other. Like, it's just always like, oh, yeah, I guess we're being told that they, you know, that 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 they're in love with each other. So I guess they are type thing or that at least that T'Challa is is in love with her. And but yeah, it's like it's kind of like um uh in Civil War, the uh Steve Rogers and um Sharon Carter romance where you're like. Okay, I, I, I guess. <laughs> you Gotta know? give him somebody. Yeah. We're seeing in, in Age of Ultron. Like, it feels like the MCU is kind of riddled with these romances that are just put in because someone took a screenwriting class one time that told them that there needs to be a romantic subplot. Um, yeah. I mean, I feel like don't do the romance unless you're really going to do it. Yep. It's, it's like, it's okay not to have it. But <laughs> I, I also think it's just MCU's, like, they're just, I think my overall opinion is that they're not very good with romances. The only ones that have been good is Tony's. Mm, so, because yeah. that's because they focused on it so much and her character was so integral to his whole thing yeah so to a certain degree i mean they're not even my favorite ship either i kind of <laughs> actually ship valkyrie and thor oh but, yeah you know. and that's see yeah. that that to me and it's such a good dynamic because it wasn't because there was no attempt to really make it a romantic subplot there was like exactly one moment where they kind of exchange a look where you go oh is there oh uh, <laughs> right <laughs> you're like okay i could see this building and like maybe exactly. in the like like when the whole thing is over or whatever, it's like, yeah, you know, but yeah, it's like, mm-hmm. let it happen naturally instead of a shoehorn in. And I felt like this was sort of shoehorned in. That was my yeah. one takeaway from it. Yeah. Uh, I'm just, I'm yeah. literally, I'm like going through all the movies now and I'm realizing how prominent that is. Like the, the Thor and Jane Foster is, is kind of the same Which way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad for Thor Ragnarok because the other, yeah, I was like, wow, this is night and day. Oh which yeah. Is, movies a hundred percent yeah it's i'm i'm as much as i love natalie portman as an actress i just there was like never anything for her to do in those movies um (laughs) the uh we also like to uh to rate the villains i mean this is to me top two mcu villains maybe top three like for for killmonger obviously michael b jordan's performance uh i'd like if i were to rate this out of 10 i'd probably go like a nine for for killmonger's uh just role as a villain yeah, compared to speaking of any of the other villains, <laughs> yeah, I exactly. definitely would have him up there as a nine for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. He just he he brought it, and he actually had a justification for his actions. I mean, obviously everything that we've already talked about, and so people people know why we're high on him. Um, yeah, it's the gray area. The gray area does it. Exactly. If a villain can make it so you actually agree with them, they've done their job. Whoever wrote that, exactly. Yep. <laughs> yep um uh we also like to rate the stan lee cameos uh in this one uh it's in the casino and uh stan lee is is one of the gamblers there who's asking to take uh everett ross's chips uh when t'challa or no sorry uh t'challa's chips when he leaves behind um that's a it's a fun little cameo i enjoy it i'm i'm i don't know how i rate it on a scale of one to ten you know like probably somewhere in the middle like a six it's like fun and fine you know but it's uh it's no tony stank at yeah. least to me. It was okay. I think maybe I'd say a three if I was going to compare it to others. We've wow. just seen so many other more inventive ones. Yeah. I feel like. That's true. You, you raise a good point. When he comes in. Yeah. When they Ragnarok. I mean, that was hilarious. Yes. That that's was. that's one of my favorites. It's so good. Yeah. I um, mean, so I, and when you compare it to that and some others, yeah, it's like, yeah. Yeah. You raise a good point. Maybe I'll drop mine down to like a four. Cause yeah, there, <laughs> there are a lot more inventive ones and he's just kind of, yeah. he's just kind of there in this. Um, exactly. <laughs> I mean, he couldn't be in Wakanda, right? I would have thought it was funny if he like ended up in Wakanda. Like, I seem to be lost or something. That was <laughs> <funny>. <laughs> just like asking like, for I... directions. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then uh, we like to rate the 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 mid and post credit scenes uh, of this film. Uh, we have the mid credit scene where T'Challa is is going to the Vienna um, International Center and he speaks before the United Nations, um, talking about opening its borders and utilizing its resources uh to sort of help the world i think that this is i think it's a pretty good like it doesn't really tease anything to come but at the same time i really like it because it kind of brings the thematics of of a lot of the film full circle um you know in sort of like that that balance between like you were you were talking about um before where you know he's he's kind of 
meeting the sort of middle ground between the ideals of like Eric and of Nakia um, in kind of helping the rest of the world, but doing it in a very sort of peaceful uh, and, and kind of, you know, useful way, I guess, for, for everybody. Um, and so I think, you know, maybe it's, it's like a six or a seven just because I think it does tie in everything together, but it's not like it's teasing anything huge for the future or introducing any new concept. Yeah, I agree. I, I would say about a six or so. I felt like it was it, it brought together the rest of the story uh, and that brought together it more. So it was like the result of it. Right. Yeah. It was like this journey he went on. There was actual progress. Concrete things are going to happen. Exactly. I feel like it was more elevated kind of mid scene, you know, because mm-hmm. it was kind of like, yeah, no big bads coming out or something like that. But it's like, yeah, this is definitely going to affect Wakanda going forward. Who knows how? Yeah. Um, but if it, we know anything about history, opening up to the world and stuff can be can bring its own trouble. So 100%. it's kind of it's great, but it's kind of it's like that. It was like elevated sort yep. of like, wow, what's this going to do now? Because that's a huge thing in the world of what was established in the movie of not being connected to everyone and everything. Exactly. Yeah. It just really serves as like a nice denouement to, to the entire conflict. Um, and then uh, our, our post credit scene, we've got uh, basically just foreshadowing uh, infinity war. We have uh, Bucky coming out with his little, you know, arm missing after, you know, being like Todd and, and awoken from his cryo sleep or whatever. And, and sort of, you know, starting his journey on uh, coming back to life uh, and, and whatever they're talking about, like saying he has much to learn or whatever. Not quite sure everything they taught him. It didn't really get explored in Infinity War, but uh, it's kind of a like not at all. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like a fun little thing, I guess. At, at the time, it was exciting. Cause you're like, oh, cool. Like, what's going to happen here? What are they going to what are they going to do with Bucky in, in Black Panther 2? And then like one movie later, it's like, oh, OK, he's just he's just back. <laughs> maybe it'll come back in the sequel i don't know yeah exactly i was like i was like i, th- I think i thought it would could have been like fun having bucky be t'challa's sidekick for a little while you know like right like you know fun little dynamic duo um yeah there were so many things they could have done i mean i liked it yeah it's fine it's fun <laughs> it's a, another solid like six yeah it was one of the things like at the moment, you know, you're like, wow, what's this? I mean, because then it's like in retrospect, though, yep. you I mean, I guess I would lower it knowing it didn't go anywhere. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, that was kind of the <laughs> <At> thing. The time. <laughs> totally. And that's that's kind of been a thing with a lot of these post credit scenes is like there are definitely those that have happened that just have no relevance uh, to anything. You know, there was um, the end of Incredible Hulk has Tony Stark meeting up with thunderbolt ross and talking to him about putting a team together and stuff but then that specific dynamic is like never paid off and ross doesn't show up again until civil war like and they make no (laughs) reference to the fact that they tried to put a team together together or together (laughs) with each other um anyway uh the last couple uh uh sort of talking points that we have on our episodes are our best performance and best rising star uh for me, at least, the rising star one is is cut and dry. I think it's it's uh, uh, Shuri, uh, Letitia Wright, but that's just me. What's who who do you think is the the rising star of this film? I, I I'm maybe it's my bias, but I thought Danae was like a scene okay. stiller. Like every time she was in a scene, like just the subtlety of the things she would say and the way her delivery was was mm. just spot on to me. I can see that. I definitely. I mean, the, the, kind of like we talked about, there is there are such great performances in this movie that it's 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 hard to choose one. And and I can totally see your point there because she is also fantastic. Um, overall, best. Per- Michael B. Jordan was great too, though. I mean, oh yeah, to be I, able to carry Killmonger that way, yeah, yeah. And I think he's he definitely, at least for me, I think he gets best performance. Uh, you know, obviously, rising star would be tough since he's already a star at this point uh, when this movie comes out. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, I think for me, Michael B. Jordan, probably best performance and, and, and Letitia Wright as, as rising star, but what's your, what's your, who are your two, uh, two spots there? Well, best performance. Yeah. Still Michael B. Jordan okay, for cool. that. And, then and um, yeah, Danae for rising star, because this is the yeah. thing too, because she is, so people had known her from like the walking dead, of course, yeah. those who were like fans of that show. And like, she, you know, she's put on some plays on Broadway and stuff, but th- I think this showed like just how wonderful she'd be on the big screen, Yeah, you know, like the kind of role she could play, totally. especially, you know, and, spe- you know, just that kind of characterization, you know, she, cause 
even in a subtle way, they allowed her to kind of have a love interest and stuff. You don't always see that. Sometimes with black women characters, yeah. it's like either she's the really quote unquote strong character and she don't have time for love or whatever yeah. that means. And or she's like just like a throwaway love interest or something. Yeah. So it was nice that she was able to embody both of that. And Absolutely. they defined her character. And I think Danae did it in such a um such a great way that wasn't like it didn't chew the scenery. You know, but it did in a way where you remember so many of her her little lines and stuff. Yeah, totally. No, you're 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 spot on. I I definitely agree. Um, Yeah, well, this uh, I think that that does it for for this episode. Oh, actually, also, we haven't mentioned Daniel Kaluuya at all in this film. Shout out to Daniel Kaluuya. I know we didn't talk about your character. He's kind of a small character in the film. However, good job. Way to go. Yes. (laughs) He's always fun to see. (laughs) Um, and, and Winston Duke is M'Baku. He, he would be another, like in the running for rising star because especially after seeing us, he's so, he's got so much range. Like the fact that that, you know, giant hulking person can also just play like kind of a nerdy dad, uh, is, is really awesome. Um, yeah, I love, I, I really like Winston Duke. I'm so glad that this movie gifted us Winston Duke in the world. Exactly. I mean, Winston, one of the things I love is that he has subverted that trope, right? The whole question of the brute or whatever you yeah. call it and, and things and being able to play a character. Like even, even the character in Black Panther, it was funny, right? Because yes. he subverted that. It was like, we'll eat your children or something. He's like, I'm kidding. <laughs> like we're vegetarians. Yeah. And I'm just like, this is perfect. So <laughs> you good. know? And then like his roles after that pretty much kind of play into that same scenario of subverting what you think he's supposed to act like. Yeah. And I think, you know what, like that it's because it's kind of this thing like he's, he's, you know, older than, than I think a lot of actors are typically when they like break out into the mainstream. But I think maybe there could be a part of that. That's like that. He hasn't really wanted to play into whatever the stereotype of like being a large buff dude. Uh, And maybe that's, it took him a little bit longer to sort of break into the public consciousness because of that. Um, well, yeah, and I, I agree with that for sure. I do think when it comes particularly, like, even with Danae, right? Like, Danae's for, in her 40s, like, yeah. early 40s. She doesn't look it either. Um, but, she, <laughs> you know, she's in her early 40s. And the thing about, and this is what we're saying, like, you know, everyone's hearing about Chadwick and stuff. Chadwick's been around for a while, too. But, yeah. like, he's really hitting his zenith, like, now in his 40s. And that tends to happen for a lot of Black actors and entertainers. That's a good point. Uh, you know, Zoe Saldana. Yeah. One of the things, Argamora of the MCU. Yeah. I remember watching her when she was like 21 and she was always playing like the black best friend. She didn't hit big until she was like 30 yeah. or so um, playing in the Star Trek and, and other, Star Trek and other uh, movies when, or, or uh, totally left my mind. Um, Avatar? You know, yes, Avatar, <laughs> that movie. Um, <laughs> she was in that, like, yeah. that was in her 30s. A lot a lot of time for the dynamic of black actors, it tends to be a later date. Viola Davis is another, yeah, true. Um, another example of this, of, you know, because act, black, black uh, entertainers tend to have to wait a little longer to get <laughs> that kind of recognition. I mean, just look at Tessa Thompson. Yeah. Tessa is just now hitting there. Everyone loves her now, you know, but yeah. I mean, I remember when she was on Veronica Mars, <laughs> you know, crap, like, yeah early when she was in her 20s i remember when she was doing a disney show and things and she was like not even the main character of the disney movie that she was in and this was like 10 some odd years ago a lot of these actors particularly the black actors Mm -hmm. are just now hitting big but that's because they had to stay consistent and play those smaller parts just like winston i'm sure play some others to finally get that recognition to know enough people to get that chance and that's why a movie like Black Panther is so important because this gave a lot of them their chance to shine because they have been, I mean, it's like, there's no such thing as overnight sensation in, in, in this industry at all. Um, even Michael B. Jordan, I remember when he was on um, all my children back in the day and, and other, and the wire and stuff. So it was like, you know, these actors have been working for like some odd, like decade or so before they hit. I mean, it's just, you know, a blessing that black don't crack because, (laughs) you know, people hit like 30 or so we're getting put on, but it's, they've been there for a minute. So a movie like black Panther gives them that chance to shine in a way that maybe they normally wouldn't in another mainstream movie. Yeah. It's so necessary. Yeah, no. And that's, that's a great point. I hadn't really uh, like made that connection or realized that before, but yeah, you're, you're 
totally on point. That's that's true. That's fucking crazy. Which and and yet to your point, like that speaks to why there needs to be more movies that have you know a, a larger black cast because then it gives more opportunities to have supporting characters that aren't you know like already widely known. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Huh. That's uh, now that's that, I feel like that's going to be something that I'm going to notice every time I like become aware of a black actor. I'll I'll have to like look up their age yes. and be like, oh wow, no, how long has this person been doing so it? crazy how much that happens like you literally just any act any actor that's getting put on right now like i just i assure you look at their wikipedia or something you will see that they've been around for like years yeah (laughs) wild doing just waiting waiting for that major part huh tessa thompson in particular for sure honestly i love her but she's finally getting her due yeah that's what it is it's not just oh she got lucky she's honestly just now getting her due yeah Man, I mean, even Letitia, I'm looking at Letitia's 2025 right now, but man, she's, yeah, she's been acting like in, you know, name roles since 2011. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) That is is absurd. Right? See? Yep. Uh, Just think longer, you know? Can't always play the black best friend. You're you're opening my, uh, my paradigm here. Um, well, uh, well, Chauncey, this has been a, a great episode. Uh, thank you so much for joining the show, but let's, let's get the plugs out. Where can people find you? What can they, uh, consume of your content? Yeah, well, you can find me on People's World, www.peoplesworld.org. It's an online uh, news publication, been around for some 80-odd years, talks about a lot of socio-political issues. I do a lot of cultural um, articles there. Nice. Um, and you can I've, I've got a weekly column right now going on there where I'm dissecting Jordan Peele's Twilight Zone, Ooh. taking a little bit of a deeper look at his um, at what those episodes explore. You can also find me on Rotten Tomatoes as I am a verified Rotten Tomatoes TV and film critic yeah. there. And um, yeah, on my YouTube channel, you can find me and I like to talk horror shows awesome. and stuff on my YouTube channel and also on AfterBuzz TV as well as I do The Flash and oh, yeah. I noticed you've been doing uh, Doom Patrol episodes on your your YouTube channel and that show I I love that show so much. I absolutely I don't want to cause a controversy but I kind of <laughs> like it better than Titans. I'm with but... you. I am 100% <laughs> with you. I was I, oh. wow, yeah. I, I work I work on a, another Berlanti show, and when Doom Patrol got announced, I was trying so hard to to get onto that. I was like, I have to yeah. see what happens here. Um, anyway, uh, thank you for joining the show. Listeners, you can find our show at That Might Be Cool uh, on Twitter, Instagram, every uh, social media that you have. Uh, you can uh, find myself, Jason, uh, at Jason Halftones on Twitter and Instagram. You can find uh, Chauncey at Miss Chauncey KR on Twitter. Uh, do you have an Instagram as well, Chauncey? Yes, uh, Miss Chauncey K. There you go. Uh, and uh, thank you all for jo- for listening to the show. And uh, we will see you again uh, actually later today as this episode comes out for Avengers Infinity War. Thank you for listening. That might be cool.com. You never know. <laughs> <laughs>